of Human Bondage by William Somerset Maugham. Chapter 12 As time went on, Philip's deformity ceased to interest. It was accepted like one boy's red hair and another's unreasonable corpulence. But meanwhile, he had grown horribly sensitive. He never ran if he could help it, because he knew it made his limp more conspicuous, and he adopted a peculiar walk. He stood still as much as he could, with his club foot behind the other, so that it should not attract notice, and he was constantly on the lookout for any reference to it. Because he could not join in the games which other boys played, their life remained strange to him. He only interested himself from the outside in their doings, and it seemed to him that there was a barrier between them and him. Sometimes they seemed to think that it was his fault if he could not play football, and he was unable to make them understand. He was left a good deal to himself. He had been inclined to talkativeness, but gradually he became silent. He began to think of the difference between himself and others. The biggest boy in the dormitory, Singer, took a dislike to him, and Philip, small for his age, had to put up with a good deal of hard treatment. About halfway through the term, a mania ran through the school for a game called Nibs. It was a game for two, played on a table or a form with steel pens. You had to push your nub with the fingernail so as to get the point of it over your opponent's. While he maneuvered to prevent this and to get the point of his nib over the back of yours. When this result was achieved, you breathed on the ball of your thumb, pressed it hard on the two nibs, and if you were able then to lift them without dropping either, both nibs became yours. Soon nothing was seen but boys playing this game, and the more skillful acquired vast stores of nibs. But in a little while, Mr. Watson made up his mind that it was a form of gambling, forbade the game, and confiscated all the nibs in the boy's possession. Philip had been very adroit, and it was with a heavy heart that he gave up his winnings. But his fingers itched to play still, and it was a few days later, on the way to the football field, he went into a shop and bought a pennyworth of jade pens. He carried them loose in his pocket and enjoyed the feeling of them. Presently, Singer found out that he had them. Singer had given up his nibs, too, but he had kept back a very large one called the Jumbo, which was almost unconquerable, and he could not resist the opportunity of getting Philip's J out of him. Though Philip knew that he was at a disadvantage with his small nibs, he had an adventurous disposition and was willing to take the risk. Besides, he was aware that Singer would not allow him to refuse. He had not played for a week, and sat down to the game now with the thrill of excitement. He lost two of his small nibs quickly, and Singer was jubilant. But the third time, by some chance, the jumbo slipped round, and Philip was able to push his jay across it. He crowed with triumph. At that moment, Mr. Watson came in. "'What are you doing?' he asked. He looked from Singer to Philip, but neither answered. "'Don't you know that I've forbidden you to play that idiotic game?' 
Philip's heart beat fast. He knew what was coming and was dreadfully frightened. But in his fright, there was a certain exultation. He had never been swished. Of course, it would hurt, but it was something to boast about afterwards. Come into my study. The headmaster turned, and they followed him side by side. Singer whispered to Philip, We're in for it. Mr. Watson pointed to Singer. Bend over, he said. Philip, very white, saw the boy quiver at each stroke, and after the third he heard him cry out. Three more followed. That'll do. Get up. Singer stood up. The tears were streaming down his face. Philip stepped forward. Mr. Watson looked at him for a moment. I'm not going to cane you. You're a new boy, and I can't hit a cripple. Go away, both of you, and don't be naughty again. When they got back into the schoolroom, a group of boys who had learned in some mysterious way what was happening were waiting for them. They set upon Singer at once with eager questions. Singer faced them, his face red with the pain and marks of tears still on his cheeks. He pointed with his head at Philip, who was standing a little behind him. He got off because he's a cripple, he said angrily. Philip stood silent and flushed. He felt they looked at him with contempt. How many did you get? One boy asked Singer. But he did not answer. He was angry because he had been hurt. Don't ask me to play nibs with you again, he said to Philip. It's jolly nice for you. You don't risk anything. I didn't ask you. Didn't you? He quickly put out his foot and tripped Philip up. Philip was always rather unsteady on his feet, and he fell heavily to the ground. Cripple, said Singer. For the rest of the term, he tormented Philip cruelly, and though Philip tried to keep out of his way, the school was so small that it was impossible. He tried being friendly and jolly with him. He abased himself so far as to buy him a knife, but though Singer took the knife, he was not placated. Once or twice, driven beyond endurance, he hit and kicked the bigger boy. But Singer was so much stronger that Philip was helpless, and he was always forced after more or less torture to beg his pardon. It was that which rankled with Philip. He could not bear the humiliation of apologies, which were wrung from him by pain greater than he could bear. And what made it worse was that there seemed no end to his wretchedness. Singer was only eleven, and would not go to the upper school till he was thirteen. Philip realized that he must live two years with a tormentor from whom there was no escape. He was only happy while he was working, and when he got into bed. And often there recurred to him then that queer feeling that his life, with all its misery, was nothing but a dream, and that he would awake in the morning in his own little bed in London. End of chapter 12